Welcome to another edition of the Corner Store Podcast. I'm your host, Kevin Koval, and excited to have you tune in to today's episode because it's a big one. Uh, we have in the Corner Store a gentleman who has put on for independent music, both in Chicago and, and around the planet, uh, the founder and owner of Smart Bar and the Metro, someone who has really been a tireless advocate for new and emerging artists in the city and beyond who has literally built a home for independent music from all genres uh, and and just is a giant supporter of mine and the work that I do as an artist and the work that I do at Young Chicago Authors. We are honored to have Joe Shanahan in the corner store. Welcome, Joe. Can you just see me blush right now? I mean, geez, thank you, Kevin. No, man. Thanks, thanks for you. having me. I appreciate it. I, I'm so glad that, that you're here and, and love talking with you always. Yeah. And, uh, appreciate the opportunity to have you in this space and to go a little more into your story. Sure. Um, we bef- just pick up where we left off. Yeah, exactly. Seems to be our thing. Um, before uh, we go anywhere, though, I want to, uh, we you know, we give all of our guests some snacks in the corner store because, okay. um, you know, we want to make sure folks are fed. And I know... You know, like myself, you are a health conscious uh, yeah. gentleman, and so you know we got some sticky rice chips uh, for you. It's the coconut crunch flavor. These are pretty good. Oh, okay. I, actually, I like these snacks. I was thinking about oh, nice. myself when I was uh, you know getting your snacks, um, and then also some smoked maple strip salmon fillet. It's like a salmon jerky. Oh, that's um, nice. Yeah, which is also pretty good. Good proteins. Oh, in that's there. great. That's great. Um, but it, yeah, it's epic. And yeah, 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 exactly. Enjoy, um, and we Thank like you. we like sound effects uh, on the corner store. So, the um, corner store. Yeah, I guess I'm in the corner store. Exactly. That's yeah, that's so we got we got to have snacks. Exactly. Yeah, <laughs> precise. Um, so yeah, man. So I, you know, I know that you put on for and and love this city a lot. Um, mm-hmm. I, I kind of want to go back. I mean, just where you come from? Where originally uh, Evergreen Park. So that's the, you know, Evergreen Park High School, uh, uh, Most Holy Redeemer Grammar School. I still say grammar school. Uh, Parish. I still say that, Wow, too. yeah. Um, but Beverly is, like, kind of like the, the, the place. I think that, you know, I still go to Beverly. Uh, there's a, a lot of great art happening out there, a lot of great um, people at the um, Beverly Art Center that are doing some cool things. Um with with music and spoken word um but yeah so my south side roots are are deep and uh um i uh, i still feel that uh, they're part of my dna and uh as a matter of fact i was just there uh last weekend seeing john langford do a parking lot and uh you know raise money for to save a building now what did your what did your folks do in uh in evergreen park well let's see my um my father was a traveling salesman, and um, that's quite a gig, too. I mean, that's he did. A, he was on the road a lot. Yeah. Um, um, what was he? From, know, what was he selling? He sold um, textiles. He worked for a textile company, mm-hmm. um, and my mother was a, um, I guess, like a nurse's aide, and then she worked for a catalog company. But she raised six kids, so we're from, I'm from a family of six, kind of sit, sort of in the middle there. I've got two younger and then four above me. That's quite a squad. It was. And she, she, got, she got pretty busy with babies, I have to say, because... Uh, she had my, six of them. So yeah, right. My, my, because like my, my brother, Paul, uh, 
who I'm really tight with still, is uh, 10 years younger than me. So, you know, and my brother Bill is only two years younger than me. So it's almost the, the Irish twins. And then I had a sister, sister Sally, and a brother KJ, and a brother Mar- a sister Mary. And um, so that was all the way up the chain. Oh, my but, God. Yeah, I, I I love the whole idea that, you know, um, I went and spent a lot of time in New Orleans and spent some time in New York, but, you know, Chicago is really my home. Um, I, I love the people. I, uh, I feel the work ethic is something that's part of my DNA, and um, and just going back to the South Side this past weekend was one of those things where I just kind of walked around. I went to my, my favorite pizza haunt and went to one of my favorite uh ice cream stores and they're still there i was like so happy they were still there Mm. and you know of course i want to talk about why you chose to make a home here both for yourself your family but also uh as a career um but but before we we get there what was you know when how how prominent was music in your life at what point when you were young i mean when did it become a you know when did you notice that you're like oh well actually i i'm i'm gravitating toward this it it had to be um sort of my love of of uh, motown and kind of like the early sort of beatles and stones because that was sort of like what my brothers and sisters my older brothers and sisters were listening to wls radio and wcfl and wvon i mean these were radio stations that we listened to all the time my father was more into jazz and blues which was a good thing because I think I learned a lot from what he was into and how that sort of really affected me as I grew older. Um, I was never afraid of like, oh, I know who John Coltrane is. I know Miles Davis is, you know, I, Ornette Coleman. Yeah, he's weird, but I like him. What, was it, that was that weird to have a, a dad, like an Irish Catholic dad from the South Side be so into that kind of music at that time? I mean, it's what that, he listened to him. And then yeah. my mom loved big band, you know? Mm-hmm. So, you know, it was like, I hear these stories growing up that my mother and father, my father was in the Navy. My mother was, I guess, like a nurse's aide. And, and there was this, like, the, uh, story about them going to the Aragon Ballroom and dancing to, you know, Benny Goodman. And I'm like, it's so cool. I love the fact that my mom and dad did that. So, like, like when I went... And, and DJ, I opened up for the Clash. You know, I I told my mom, I said, I'm 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 working tonight. She goes, Where are you working? I go, I'm I'm going to work at the Aragon Ballroom. And, you know, almost she almost started crying. She was like, Well, I used to go dancing there. Is it the same? I said, It's absolutely the same. It's like this beautiful Moorish, you know, Spanish castle. Uh, and uh, yeah, I get to I get to talk about that kind of stuff with my parents. That's that's pretty special. That's beautiful. Um, that is a pretty big deal that you dj'd for the clash uh so i know now we're jumping ahead but how did well what, what? wait let's go back okay because, 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 we'll, we'll, because i know we'll get because there there's a, because there's a really good piece about how i discover music and and it is because and maybe even the first dj sort of thing yeah. is that i used to have a small like portable like record player and i set it up in the garage of my home in evergreen park and plug it into the electric socket in the in the garage and started playing 45s and my my sister's friends they're all real cute they would be hanging out you know she's a few years older than me so her her friends would come by and I'd be like playing you know Diana Ross and the Stones and you know Marvin Gaye and 
you know, you know, sort of the Beatles and, and, and it became like my own little version of like my first garage sort of like house party. Yeah. And, and I was this young, cute kid, you know, just playing 45s. And that's how it started for me is that I, I realized I liked doing that. I liked making people have, have, have fun, dance, smile. Um, and I didn't necessarily have to be in the midst of that. I could actually just kind of be, maybe I'm a little shy. I wanted to stand back and watch it happen. And uh, I started a collection. I started collecting records at an early age. Um, Where would you go for records? Every, in Evergreen Park, there was a there was a there was a few record stores. Uh, I remember the I worked at one of them it was called Lowe's Record Lowe's Records. It was in the Evergreen Plaza. There was another one called Tempo, um, and uh, so that would buy I'd buy records from from those locations. I started my collection. I still have some of those records. Actually, I'm I'm proud that I didn't like lose them all in the enormous floods that my <laughs> my stuff went through. We all went through at a certain time in our lives because all we could afford were garden apartments with, you know, two other guys or three other guys, and that's what you did. Right. Um, but, yeah, I still have those records, and I, I'm, I'm proud that I, I, I started collecting records. I'm really still collecting records. Um, I still buy vinyl almost every, over, every weekend. I stop at a record store in my neighborhood and go through, and, oh, there's an Etta James 45. I want that one. What has the collection gotten to now? Do you know it's big. numbers? It's big. Yeah, I don't know. Forty thousand, maybe. Wow. Okay. It's it's growing. I I I stopped counting. Yeah. I just I just began to like. And and how then, do you catalog? I mean, in what ways do you arrange it? How is it cataloged? I guess. Um. Some of it's like I. There's like a whole dance sort of collection because back when we started smart bar um it was my collection i mean i basically just volunteered my collection because i was one of the first djs um what, what year is this by the way 82 right but so like so like so from like let's say from 79 to 82 i'm at wax tracks a lot i'm at gramophone a lot i'm at imports etc a lot you know i'm going back to the south side to you know some of the great digging out there a little bit too because a lot of it i wanted to find you know, I, I love funk and soul. I still do. But I would blend that into like what I thought was kind of tighter, you know, modern uh, interpretations of that from New York, like ESG and uh, some of the early hip hop um, sort of sounds, um, you know, honoring James Brown and honors, honoring Sly and the Family Stone right there along with, you know, um, you know, anything off the early Sugar Hill days, you know, yeah, Se sequence or, you know. Fab Five Freddy. Well, so I, wa I want to get to that part because um, I've heard you tell some stories about early days of Chicago electro music. Mm -hmm. um, but so take us from the garage. You know, you're a kid uh, spinning 45s essentially for your sister's older cute friends. Mm -hmm. uh, but you, you, you and my friends too, and your friends too. Um, <laughs> but but you follow you follow this idea, of course, throughout the course of your life. Uh, so where where does it where does it take you next? You know, I think that once I leave uh, Evergreen Park and I enroll in um, design and art school in Carbondale at uh, SIU, um, chose that school because of um, one particular person, and that was Buckminster Fuller, was actually a professor and. Um, 
he still was living and he was in Carbondale. So um, I was like on a sort of a mission to be closer to what I would consider my personal modern day thinking Buddha. And what what, um, tr- what drew you to him? Uh, his 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 look at life. You know, he was he was a modern um, adventurous uh, thinker, and he was supremely talented as far as like his blend of art and science. Um, I mean, the man invented the geodesic dome, you know, I knew that from like the world's fair. I was like watching what this guy was doing. He was talking about the future. I was listening to David Bowie. I, you know, I was, you know, the Ziggy Stardust and there was Buckminster Fuller, the living actual adventure. He had the future. The Tomorrowland was Buckminster Fuller. And so I was following that muse a bit, got down there studying photography, studying design, studying art, um, and tending bar to sort of get by, you know. Um, I come from, um, you know, small beginnings, and my, my mother and father didn't have a lot of money for me to go away to school. Um, I got myself a scholarship. I got myself a grant. And I delivered newspapers for most of my life so I could have some some bread in the bank. And... Um, and still collect records, um, but uh, but that's when I started like spinning records down there too. It kind of it it manifests itself again another way. So while I could still play Stones, Beatles, Motown, I then began to play things from you know from England that I was really falling deeply in love with, and that would be number one, the band The Clash, because I love the fact that I, I understood what reggae was, because I was already into, like, the Wailers, and already into Bob Marley, and Peter Tosh, and, and sort of um, what was coming out of Jamaica, um, I knew that was important, um, so it was, again, this another um, aspect of, of art and culture that, you know, I was able to, you know, just easily glide into and I've, i realized the thread so i would play the ramones and i would play um the sex pistols but i was always leaning more towards that sort of like underpinning of like reggae and the clash were a big part of that you know and anything that kind of came from that this is the mid late 70s around this time so i graduated high school like 75 76 so yeah. i'm in carbondale you know so 1977 and you know that's that's the year you know, right like, that's when punk rock you know broke you know um and you know so it was you know i'd i'd made the 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 sojourn to new york you know i'd gone to the to this to cbgb's you know um you know it was you know it was an important you know sort of something was happening in my in 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 our world that i was old enough if I figured it out, how to figure out to get a train ticket or a plane ticket or even hitchhike. Back then, I used to hitchhike. I can't even believe that I'm saying this. I hitchhiked to New Orleans from Carbondale once. Um, twice, actually. But that was the thing, you know. It was like I felt there was a, a, a glowing ember of of new and, and emerging art. It was my age. I mean, the Ramones were my age, right. you know. And I was going to go see them at CBGB's. The Talking Heads were my age. I am going to see them perform. Patti Smith, a little older, but still part of that thing. I mean, it comes out of that whole, you know, it was Lou and 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 David and and Iggy, you know, as far as the the masculine trinity. But Patti Smith was just as important to me, and still to this day. I mean, I'm a huge fan of hers. I just saw her at Riot Fest recently, and kind of received the gospel from her so it was felt 
pretty good about that. Well, I, I like this idea that you are also a, a futurist, which makes sense given what you've done and what you continue to do and that you're kind of chasing or in tune trying to track down what is that new and future sound. Yeah. I'm uh, foraging. Yeah. I mean, and it's a big garden. It's a big forest. Which and, is what a DJ does, oh, right? Yeah, is like for sure. That's, that's in, in some ways, that's one of the primary aspects of the gig. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Um, you know, um, I remember this this gig that I did at the Aragon Ballroom. I opened up for The Clash, and now I'm going back to that story. Yeah. Because I was playing some music that obviously resonated because the band's manager came up to me after and said, how do you know about this music? Cause I was playing like liquid liquid and like, again, ESG I was playing a lot of that 99 record stuff. And I was playing some early sort of paradise garage tracks and a little hip hop and, and then throwing in sort of like, I, I wasn't really like playing like the new wave. I wasn't playing like the B 52s and, I think I played Brapture by Blondie and things like that. You know, it was like, it was, you know, it got people like they were recognizing it, but it got back to the band that there was some, some cat that was, you know, laying, laying something down. And they, they were like, well, where are you going after the gig? And I said, well, I'm going to go back to my club and you all should come with me. And the clash came to the smart bar Wow! and we stayed up all night. Wow. And it was great. <laughs> so that's that's obviously already after you have created it. Yeah. But but I I, I mean I want to so you if you were bartending mm-hmm. you started to get indoctrin uh, you you started to see um, a nightlife uh, you know and and that nightlife sometimes also you know filters into the music scene. Sure. But at, at what point did you come back to Chicago and start? taking what you were doing and bringing it out into public spaces. I, re- I realized because I, I had kind of a floating party in Carbondale and then it sort of landed in a bar called silver ball and it was a pinball like a uh, bar and it had a small music space and I started doing some punk rock nights there and like, you know, cheap beer, um, maybe have a band or two play local bands. It's just, kids just making noise and then i'd play records that you know i'd bought either in chicago um early on you know record stores um um that were you know like rose records had a really good talent had a really good uh, record uh buyer and uh, uh mike rivers i believe was his name and i would go and i would take the train or <laughs> Another, this is a good one coming. Another little business I had was that I, my roommate and I, we had a station wagon and we would undercut Amtrak by like about 10 bucks and then drive people from Carbondale to Chicago. And the money that we had, we'd like rent like one hotel room and go to La Mer Viper and go to the Aragon to see the Ramones or Lou Reed. And so I was, I was doing that on weekends between classes. You were a megabus before megabus. I was megabus. <laughs> and we, 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 would drop, we would drop cats in Cabrini Green. We'd drop them in Robert Taylor Holmes. We, uh, we, would, we were just like, we put the sign up in the, in the dorm or in the, the, the student center. You know, like if the, if the train was 40 bucks, we went like, you know, 35 or 30, you know. And it was just like, 
Because it was like back then, you know, five bucks, ten bucks was a big deal. Yeah, still is. Yeah. Um, but we did that. It was like a little. Uh, I was my side hustle, and yep. and and maybe that's been part of my whole life. Is that whether I was delivering newspapers or doing my 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 mega bus, um, but it was coming to Chicago, buying records, going to the clubs, going to the bars, and realizing at one point that Carbondale had just sort of ended for me. Uh, you know, Bucky had. Uh, Moved on, passed off, passed actually, I believe, and um, I'd gotten enough enough of that from from my experience in Carbondale. I also had a really great couple teachers down there that were really into keeping me sort of in the photography and design sort of uh, frame of mind. And then I came back and I enrolled in Columbia College. And did did you graduate from there? No. Okay. Didn't graduate at all. No, didn't graduate from college. Yeah, me neither. It's okay. But I mean, but as you know, our, our good friend and uh, uh, collaborative friend uh, Bob Title and I were actually we were given our honorary doctorates. That's right from Columbia That's College. Right. You know, uh, I guess it's turned out pretty well for Should us. Should I call you Doctor Shanahan? Do I need to do that? you from now on? You do. <laughs> That's exactly right, Kevin. From now on, I expect it. You know, <laughs> actually, the guy that I work with, uh, Dave Flood, who's like the building manager, we've been playing. It's so funny. He always calls me doctor before the PhD <laughs> or whatever. Um, but uh, I call him captain because he's got a boat and he calls me doctor. Yes, um, you're a doctor. Yeah. yeah. So <laughs> I, I will do that, uh, you know, henceforth. Um, you, you at some point, so you bring your you bring your talents and you bring yeah. that sense of throwing a party, creating yeah. a space, yeah. to Chicago. Absolutely. Where do you? What are some of the first spaces that you go to that you're inspired by? What are what are some of the places that you're looking at at that point? It was a super creative time uh, because for me, I was one of those kids that, as I said, because my upbringing my upbringing on the South Side, you know, you know, like sort of like, you know, for. I wasn't afraid of black music. As a matter of fact, I loved it. So for me, but was that for me an- go- was that an, an anomaly? Like being an Irish Catholic South Side kid, were you not supposed to? Do you know what I mean? Yeah. How do you navigate that space as a white kid? Telling, I just, I just did it, you know. Yeah. And 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 so, and you'll love this, and I hope that people are listening will love this because really, what Smart Bar and Metro is and became was. Because of those early days, post-Carbondale, I was hanging out at La Mer Viper, which was the greatest, where was coolest. That? Where was that? Halstead and like Wrightwood, or I think, or no, Webster. And what was it? I don't, I don't even know. I don't it know. It was a gay bar yeah. that had a punk rock night. And it was mm. so successful, it just became a punk rock bar. <laughs> and this guy named Noah uh, Boudreaux was like sort of the bartender and kind of the manager. And he had these like performance art, like, things happening and this and, and again guys like mike rivers sparkle taco these cats that had like the best record collections and they were they were playing reggae they were playing punk rock they were playing motown it was i had found my tribe i couldn't believe it i was like I, i'm never going back to school I, this is my classroom and i i it was like that was it but the other piece of that at that same time the warehouse was open yeah, so, so like, this is, I mean, this is one of the most important cultural spaces in the history of the city. But, but no tell, question. Us, tell us what, what it was like. So first of all, tell us what it was, and then when was the first time you, you went? 
Uh, you know, I think for me, it might have been uh, one of those. I think I, I think I was at the record store, imports, etc. And I think I stumbled across this record bin and it said house music. Right. And I was like, oh, what's this? And they were like, well, that's the stuff that Frankie spins at the warehouse. Who's Frankie? Oh, Frankie Knuckles. <laughs> wow. So had you heard of him prior to that? Yeah, I had okay, because yeah. of because of like the sort of you know again the sort of the gay community uh, even through the Lemaire you know they knew about what Frankie was doing on the South Side, <laughs> South Side Jefferson and you know right. Clinton yeah. you yeah, know very very near <laughs> so, downtown. You think, you think about it now, it's like yeah, it was downtown. He had a downtown club, right? Um, and Lemaire was a North Side club. So you know, in a way, I think those two that juxtaposition of both. Uh, those really important moments in club culture here in Chicago had such a big influence on me. Um, but going to the warehouse was one of those things I remember like working late and um, I worked for uh, Arnie Morton and I worked for um, uh, the Arnie's and Morton's and uh, a couple of his restaurants and we'd get off at like two, three in the morning and I'd be like, oh, I know where to go. And I would say, some of the waiters, some of the gay waiters, some of the straight waiters, you know, some of the girls, we're like, let's, go to, let's go to the warehouse. And it was, it was, it was welcoming, um, though we were, you know, certainly eyeballed. Um, because you, you because were some of, of the only white folks? Yeah but, yeah, but also the great thing was is that some of the, some of the boys that would, would go with us that were gay. So it was like it was a gay club. You know, right. so there was there was this there was this sort of like feeling that um and at that time, you know, it the music began to sort of it it the complexion changed a little bit in my opinion. Um I think everyone talks about the disco demolition, you know, the Steve Dahl thing. Uh, and it was, you know, a point of this, of, uh, it was embarking in a new direction. It, thank God, disco went back underground because, because that is where, you know, it, it lived. Mm. And house was a big part of that sort of underground thing. So in a way, if you knew about the warehouse, then, you know, you kind of belong there. If you didn't know about it, you weren't like looking it up in the reader, you know, <laughs> they weren't taking ads, you know, it was like, it was a word of mouth thing. Right. And you went with someone that either had been there or uh, wanted to take you there. Uh, and that was my case as well. So, um, but Frankie was like the draw. He was the, he was the flame. We were just drawn to it. And um, my personal thing was that I used to sneak in a little bottle of, uh, back then the big vodka was Stolichnoya. It was like a Russian vodka. And I'd put like a bottle in my boot and uh, get, get it past the front door and uh, I'd make him drinks. I'd give him. I'd make drinks for him. And he he'd just like, who is this kid? Well, <laughs> how, how do you get this in here? How, you how did you also come to know that that's what he? How, how did you? Because you you went would, on to have a relationship with him. Yeah. But even from that beginning just, point, how did I, you know that? I just showed him the bottles. Hey, you want one? And he'd be like, oh yeah, I'll have a drink. You know. So he had his like he had his orange juice back there, his grapefruit juice and ice and. The next thing I know, uh, maybe month or two later, you know, I was invited back into the inner sanctum. I was able to sit back there and go through the records and look at the records. Wow. And 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 actually, at one time, this was like kind of like my moment with Frankie was that he said, "Pull some records for me." 
and I would I pulled some records for him. And there were other people in there that were like, oh, wait a second, that's my job, or that's like my gig. And I think that Frankie and I knew something, we had something in common. Um, so hence, when I opened the Smart Bar, the first night of Smart Bar, I hired Frankie to, 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 to kick the door open and uh, never looked back after that. My relationship with him um, through thick and thin, um, you know, it's really, uh, I'm really grateful that I had such a um, close relationship and a, a professional and, and we did some things that, you know, uh, still felt to this day, you know, um, um, you know, now, um, I just miss them so much sometimes and I just uh, I think about them yeah. um because their that music was just so important to me and I knew I knew it at the time that's the thing you know you can listen to all the songs you want but in the right party in the right setting you know what it feels like and when it feels like that you don't want to go anywhere and you'll stay till noon I mean it was like one of those things you just like I don't want this to end uh world pause Everything pauses, and you're there, and you just you feel it. So he was able to do that for me with a great sound system, with wonderful people working around him like Frederick, and who I'm still friends with. And you know, Frankie and I developed a professional relationship where he became a resident of Smart Bar. And you know, even when he got sick and couldn't travel as much, you know, he had a regular gig with us, and you know, that meant money for him, and that meant something more to me because I just looked at him as so iconic. So, um, you still, you still keep his picture. Um, Oh yeah. In, in, in the DJ booth. Absolutely. In the smart bar. Sure. It's one of the, one of the heroes. Yeah. No, it's beautiful. Well, so it's interesting because you going back and forth between the warehouse and the punk club. Yeah. On the mayor, on Mm -hmm. the, on the mayor. Um, in some ways that not only are you doing a lot of crossing individually, aesthetically, mm-hmm. sonically, yeah. Yeah. but this is ultimately the kind of space that you've now built. Uh, yeah. You know, the, the smart bar, the Metro is also in one space, yeah. a crossing. But I saw no difference between ESG and the talking heads. Mm. And I think Frankie knew the same thing. And I think a lot of DJs back in the day, there was a, there was a guy named Ja that used to, spin around and rick radio faust who i believe just recently passed he was another one that like reggae and punk were kind of they were synonymous because they were both kind of like these challenging sort of like non-traditional or non-mainstream styles of music well house fits in right fits right in there too so the thread was turning into a rope really quickly and i was like Come on, who wants to help pull this? Who wants to pull this wagon with me? And I was so surprised. There were so many people. On our opening night at Smart Park, we thousands of people. We I was just like, oh, oh, wow, we're really onto something here. And it was alternative. It was alternative in the sense that it was an alternative space, alternative music, and alternative people. Again, as I found my tribe at La Mer and at the warehouse. All of a sudden, there was another whole group of people that had been really never served. You know, they 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 were going to places and or maybe not going to places. You know, they're hanging out in their houses. To go from collecting, playing, even throwing parties yeah. to them building a space is a big leap. Yeah, uh, 
how you know what what gave you the chutzpah i guess to just open you just knew you wanted your own spot i mean it, it's interesting that you were in the restaurant business you know as a you know yeah. bartender server sure um i mean service industry is uh, you know really important i do believe in that whole sort of bob dylan sort of uh you got to serve somebody you know you you don't i think it's more it's an important thing I, i'm my children tara and michael have both done it i think it's important that you do that you know i mean harvard should teach kids to go be a waiter <laughs> you know before you turn them into corporate lawyers uh, well, there, a, there's something about being in the arts and being in the service industry yeah, in that way too. Yeah, but uh, I'm just but I'm just saying I think that there is this when you work closely with people like other waiters, other bartenders. I mean, there's a real team sort of thing, and people are kind of treating you poorly. You know, I mean, I think that that comes with um, with that just in this part of its uh, network. Um, but no, I, I, I think that uh, I think it's important that uh, the work ethic that I found amongst local DJs, local bands, and local promoters, I, I found it to be so energizing that I, I just said, okay, I'll sign a mortgage. I'll go on the limb or on the, I don't want to go on the lamb, I want to go on the limb, <laughs> uh, and I'll I'll, I'll rent this space. I'll put, I'll put, you know, X amount of dollars into, you know, a dubious landlord's pocket and hope that I can make it a year. And it was really, I hope I can make it a year. Right. And then, you know, the first band you book because you went to New York and you saw them play a little club, REM is the first band you book. <laughs> then you go, oh, Wow. There's 500 people that just showed up for a band that is way under the radar. Mm. You begin to realize that there's something happening there. Um, and those guys were sort of my my pulling guards and tackles, you know, because they spread the word that Metro was a good place to play and that, you know, Metro team was an honest team. And that residual effect uh, really helped get us off the ground. I mean, you you've been instrumental in so many careers not only in chicago but around around the country around the world but i mean just even in chicago you know from you know you know the the, the smashing pumpkins to to chance i mean and genre agnostic just mm-hmm. you know you've <laughs> good word put on for and given the stage and the space to so many to so many folks that continues to be representative of that incredibly diverse year that you have i think yeah uh, well thank you i don't know if it is as i mean i really feel very strongly about you know i will work as hard as someone who wants to work alongside me so when you meet someone like patrick corcoran who's going to work really hard you're like oh so i like chance he's cool but who's his team and it's like all of a sudden then you realize like oh Okay, this is going to be not just work. It's actually going to be some fun too. There's going to be there's something that everyone begins to feel. You know, all all oars in the water. We're all going to row the same way. You know, I mean, I feel the same way about the about YCA when we do the block party in January. It's an unsurmountable, crazy day. Yeah, but it's like lift, yeah. so rewarding. 
I mean, all those young people, um, you know, being served. And, and quite honestly, we know that they're underserved. Um, but I do, I do feel really, I feel really strongly about like bands like Twin Peaks and Whitney. And I've watched that happen. And I've really feel really strongly about artists like Jamila Woods or, 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 you know, sort of in that range of, of like, where are they coming from next, you know? Um, uh, you know, even Lewis the Child, which would be considered to be a local artist, you know, uh, they cut their teeth with us early on. Um, I think that Metro is a great launching pad. Um, there's not a lot of pretense. I think that the the staff, it's, it's, I'm there, but the staff is incredible. really, yeah. really what makes it all really go. Such good people. I mean, I look at like Rexhall and I look at Joe and I look at Jason and I'm like, you guys, amazing, amazing, you know? Um, and I think that's community and I've been able to serve that community and it's not just the making of the money. It's because the other part of it is how do I get people paid? I, I really enjoy the fact that I can turn around and pay someone really well. Right. Because I think that's when I'm really doing my job. Yeah. I mean, both staff. Right. Artists. Right. Promoters. Sure. I mean, every, like there is, you know, the the Metro has been a central focal point of an emerging, growing Chicago indie music scene. Yeah. For now going on, what, four, four decades. 37 years. Yeah. So we're going to turn the page to 40 soon. Yeah. And, uh. You know, you got to also remember, celebrate that building. That building's pretty special. It's beautiful, yeah. Because there's no, there's no windows. It's it's all wood and plaster. They just don't make those like that anymore. I mean, a lot of places try to build those places to make them feel and look like those places, but it's not. So what was it before you the took it over? Swedish Community Center. It was a, it was a, it was literally a, a neighborhood, um, um, uh, community center for the Swedish community that lived in that area. There's three of them, I believe. One in Andersonville, one in Wrigleyville or Lakeview, and then there's one in the near north, uh, like by Division and uh, LaSalle. And 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 it's an area uh, uh, buildings that you would get information about green cards, about jobs, about insurance, housing. Um, and it was a it was a community center, and you know I think that I wanted to keep that flame alit or lit because there was a new community that needed to be served, and you know when it, the early days of like you know uh, even like Africa Bombada, the first time he came through Chicago, he played with us, and 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 then Black Flag, so we had this thing that was like it was sort of like. You had Billy Idol one night, you had Divine the next night, then you had like, you know, you know, Husker Du coming through. And so I think that that's that whole, it was a blend, it was a blender, but a lot of faces that I would see would go to all of it. It right. wasn't like, you know. Yeah, that's it, part of the magic of it, yeah, right? It I wasn't mean, just, you know, if you say agnostic, it wasn't just like one following. Right. It was it was actually pretty cool to see that sort of that blend of things. Yeah. But I, and it, I think what I admire so much is that it also is representative of your ear and the kind of, you know, I mean, it, it, it's it's reflective of the culture that you build, the community that you build. Yeah. Which is very powerful. Yeah. Um, you 
have managed groups here and there. I don't I don't know if you do that much anymore. Uh, it kind of stopped. Um, my daughter was born, and then I was kind of drafted to a tour in in England with uh, the man, the Smoking Popes, that I was working with at the time, and I missed several weeks of my daughter's life, and that I came home and I said, "I'm never doing that again." Mm. Um, I admire managers that and and men and women and families that can do that, but th- that this wasn't for me. Um, um, I'm proud of my children, proud of my, my 30 year relationship with my wife, Jenny. Um, but you know, I still, you know, Kevin, I am a fan. This is what comes down to this is I am still a fan. I'm a fan of the written word. Um, I'm, I'm a fan of records. Uh, I woke up this morning. I listened to a record this morning. You know I mean? It's like, what'd you listen to this morning? I listened to, um, uh, I listened to the um, uh, uh, Miles Davis uh, "Birth of Cool," mm. and it was like my my yoga time. And mm. it was one just the one side, which is amazing. You think about it, like two sides of a record back then was probably about you know thirty two minutes or something like that. <laughs> you know, it was like a twenty minute workout for me. Um, but yeah, I think that you know I like to I like I love to start my day with with music. I sometimes end my day with music. Um, after watching the news last night and just getting my head full of all the political garbage that's out there, I uh, pl- I put on the uh, James Brown uh, talking loud and saying nothing, <laughs> and I was like, "This fits today, man." Yeah. Well, I mean, even before we were on air, you were just telling me about your schedule in the next few nights. Yeah, and you you were constantly going out and seeing and hearing and yeah. not only supporting artists you've known, but hearing artists that many of us have never heard of right well i think that that's part of again the foraging that i i still enjoy and it's not just like sitting in front of uh, the computer and and you know youtubing this and that or 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 uh you know it, it you do have to go see certain things live because i i have learned that some bands are actually really better live than they are recorded and i think that the, the live the live communal music experience is something that is cannot be digitized can you you have to be in the room for it and you know through a really good pa and through with with like-minded people around you um you 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 may end up with like an absolute unbelievable experience one of my favorite things about going to metro is that i can be in the office and i hear a sound check and i go down check out sound check a little bit and I think to myself, hmm, I'm going to have some dinner. I may want to stick around and to see the first couple songs. And maybe a band I know, maybe a band that's maybe coming back into this. And I get down there, and then I can't leave. And I'll call Jenny. I'll send her a message saying, I'm stuck. You know, the Melvins just blew me away, and I'm not leaving until they're done. You know, it's like, you know, one of those kinds of things, you know. And it's happened with, like, you know, someone like Sturgill Simpson, or it's happened with like Jesse Ware, and so I never know when it's going to hit me. But when it hits me, I'm not moving. You got to pay attention. I'm paying attention, yeah. and then I'm telling people about uh, my no. experience yeah. with not just discovering, but going. Hey, I was at that show, and you know, this Princess Nokia girl, she's got it going on, and I, I we got to keep an eye on her. Let's see what happens. 
I want to I want to talk about the future of Metro Smart Bar. I also want to delve a little into and lament the passing of 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 Double Door. Mm-hmm. Um, especially because, well, a few reasons. One, you know, I just put out a book about Wicker Park in, Congratulations. in the 90s. Thank you. And, uh, but also because the Yeti store just moved into what was one of the most important independent music venues in, in Dude, the city. Dude, we used to do the, you know, the YCA. Yeah, you no, know, I, mean, I mean, Jesse's geez. Blue Groove Lounge. So, so Absolutely. many, so many Silly experiences right. in, inside of that space. Um, John Legend, Kanye, right? Jill, Jill Scott, right? And, and, it, mean, and it had Youth, a different vibe. Smashing Pumpkins. And hey, it had a. Hey, how about this one? Rolling Stones. Right, right. We, we, they, I and got they to just, work with the Rolling Stones. But they just like pulled up on you. One. How did that happen? I know that because that's like an infamous night. It's a good story. Uh, but but finish your thought because I think that well, double, just, double, it, double door. Twenty four years of my life. Right. Different sort of scenario than metro because i didn't office in double door so you know people like Lori and sean and nate and chris and mark and all these great you know danielle all these great people june june ran the door i mean since day one mm. to the last night i love that cat yeah shout out june yeah um but I think that that was a big thing was that, you know, I used to literally, I had a scooter. I used to do a show at Metro, then take the scooter across town and, and, and do Double Door. And I did this for about, I'm going to say at least 10 years. It was, it, was, it was, and, you know, Double Door opened the year my daughter was born. And so that's one of the reasons why I stopped managing bands, because I also had this brand new project that I was absolutely in love with that building, in love with that room. I, I, I still just kind of kick myself. I just, just should have bought the building, should have bought the building, but the guy wouldn't sell it to me. Right. It wasn't, and when he did, when he wanted to, it was just too much money, you know? And, you know, I, I don't, I wish Brian the best. I don't, I don't, I don't have an, an extra grind with the guy. It, he needed to take care of his family and I get all that. But when the sign came down, yeah, that was really hard for me. Must have been a hard day. Really hard for yeah. me. You know, my friend Tony Fitzpatrick, uh, our friend Tony Fitzpatrick, another civic Incredible, giant, yeah. you know, artist that I've been following and supporting and loving, you know, since the first time I saw one of his drawings. Um, you know, he did a double door drawing and uh, he, uh, he gave that to me. And uh, I still have that, and it's. I look at it every morning. It is where, right above my turntable at home. Wow. So, yes, it's a piece of my heart that has been taken. Um, I have so many good memories of that building. Yeah, so many good memories. Of yeah, that so club. do I. I mean, it's such. It was yeah. such an important space. It was such such an important space. In that neighborhood, oh yeah, uh, and but timing too. Yeah, right, I mean, exactly. In the time that you right, you know, yeah, it's it's kicking off down there. Yeah, you want to hear a great story? Yeah, please. So the the day we go to look at at Double Door, Sean and Andy then invited me down and take a look at this project. And I was like, okay, fine. So I drive over in my little my little Jeep Laredo, you know, 
as we had a little family on the way and uh so i pull up my 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 my, my jeep and pull in front there's a parking spot you know there's a, there's like a, a meter i put my put my money in you know and i go in i hang in with sean and andy and we're figuring out where the stage would go and it's like we're like we're like we're gonna do it it's, it was yeah we're just, let's do this i come back out and um um i'd left some like cassette tapes like on my seat and came back out and not one but two of my windows were smashed and I and I look, and the woman that the, the dry cleaners was next door, and the, this woman was standing there smoking a cigarette, and and uh, I'm like, I go, hey, did you see what happened? She says, welcome to the neighborhood, <laughs> and I was just like. Oh, that's tough. That's real. I go. I'm like I was too yuppie with my Jeep, you know. I was like, you know, I was like, I'm just gonna come here and get people jobs. It's gonna be fine, you know. But she was just like, big puff on her cigarette. Welcome to the neighborhood. Yeah, no, it was that was that was wicker in the day. For All sure. good by me. Still to this day, great story. Amazing. Um, do you want to tell the Stone story? Do you- it's been told a bunch of yeah. times, um, but you don't have to. You know, I, I I can just say this. I can just say this. You know, it was one of the uh, greatest moments uh, and one of the hardest moments. Is it wasn't something that just happened. It was something that took days to to come together because um, I had shown the 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 Stones team several venues. They kind of came to a friend of mine. Um, Scott Gelman, and he was working for Jam Productions, and he was kind of involved in that aspect of it. And another gentleman by the name of Jerry Barrett, who was a promoter in Toronto, and his company was promoting the entire Stones tour. So there were these, there were a couple factions of like who was involved. But I think that, I think it was basically like sort of like, you know, Keith Richards manager, you know, that wanted a certain kind of feel and vibe. So I, you know, of course, number one, you know, let's go checkerboard, you know, or buddy guys and all too predictable. Okay, fine. So then it was like, how about, how about lounge acts? Cool, small, hip, groovy, not, 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 not big enough Too a little too small. Then I was like, Oh, little bigger. So now I'm rubbing my hands together. I'm like, Metro, and I showed them. They said, "No, too big." I go, "What?" I go, "I go, what are you doing to me here?" So like, and then it was like on to the next one. So it was sort of like after like about I don't know six different places, seven different places. I was just like, "Hey, you know, I I just got this one. I got this cool little shitty little fun bar in Wicker Park that you know we're just kind of getting it going and." I don't know. I'll sh- like I, you know it's it's it could it's a good could be a good option, but I, I because you're saying things are too small. I, I I don't know. You tell me. Let's just go. They walked in and they were like, "This is it." And I was like, "Oh, dude, this is great." Except for they needed us to build out the stage so that Bobby Keys had a place to stand, <laughs> and they had I think a keyboard player too that had to had to have a um, Chuck Lavelle I think um, Bobby Keys had a, so they so my friends at DB Sound Tommy and Harry were like we'll build we'll all build it out and I go yeah they're going to build this thing out and as it began to come together I, I realized that you know it was going to be one of the the best moments um for me personally because i was that kid in evergreen park playing satisfaction and under my thumb and get off my cloud you know in my garage and there they were in front of me i was going to get to work with them and it was like conversely as exciting when you know 
the Ramones played Metro or when Joe Strummer played Metro. Mm. And, and so like I, I look at these moments in my life and I'm like, I am one of the most you know blessed people on the planet that I've been able to do the things that I've been able to do and work with the people I've been able to work with um, over you know 30 years. But the Stones thing um, was interesting because it was very democratic and the fact that everyone paid five dollars <laughs> to get in and there was just this little sign on the, on the side of the building tonight, Rolling Stones. And people were like, it's a joke. And then they walked up and got a wristband for five bucks and were coming back that night. And, you know, it was just like, you know, Keith Richards kind of like, you know, eventually figuring out kind of like who I was, inviting me down into his into his dressing room, into his room, because Mick had his own, Keith had his own. And I think this is more of a Keith gig because that's just what I take from the whole thing is that he loved doing these kinds of things. Um, and he says, uh, you know, my friend Paul, Paul Nackin, the photographer, taking a photograph of us. And he's like, what would you like to drink? And I'm like, you're asking me what I want to drink? Because what, you know, what do you feel like? I go, you know, I see you have Guinness there. Let's have a Guinness. He goes, I love Guinness. So we're having a Guinness together. And I'm, there I am sitting, drinking with Keith Richards and, and thinking about the gig that's going to come, you know. And... Uh, I go, you know, I just kind of take away from that. That again, I was just just as as lucky as 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 anyone could be on the planet. Yeah, well, uh, that's beautiful. Well, you know, I am sad that that the double door is not there. Of course, the metro is there and continues yeah. to do sure incredible work. Uh, we were yeah. talking before about your Sunday night uh, program. Oh uh, yeah, Queen, Queen. Oh, uh, best party in town. Right. Every- Once again, something happened, and and. All of a sudden, this this great community of DJs, drag queens, promoters uh, came together and said, let's just have the best party in town, and it's going to be Sunday night, and it starts at 10 and goes till 4. And there we are, you know, um, um, people lining up to get in, um, it, you know, again, it's a very safe space. People feel, you know, um, like it's a place they can let their hair down. Uh, whether, you know, you're gay or straight, you know, binary, doesn't matter. It's just, it's a good, fun, you know, experience. Um, and, uh, I will say a big shout out to, um, Michael Serafini and Derek Carter and Derek and Garrett David, who are the musical sort of components, the residents again, back to like residents. I mean, we love the fact that we're able to create like these nights around these DJs, and our residency program is something that Jason Garden and Sev Delbalar have really worked hard on to, to, to cultivate and to support. And we know that our community supports it. But Queen is one of those really, really special. I mean, just hitting on all, you know, six cylinders. And it, it's, a, it's a fun thing. Come on out and enjoy it. What is the future like for you? I mean, what is it? You're 37 years in, you know, no sign of really, I mean, you, 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 you have so much energy, uh, around this work. What is it? Yeah. I mean, as you're staring at the 40th year and beyond, what, what, what does the future of the Metro look like for you? You know, again, I just think that, you know, I'm still a fan and, and I still enjoy music. I still enjoy, you know, discovering something under a rock you know this just discovered this new kid from dublin uh david keenan he's played in the at the g-man tavern first time in america you know 
and like 30 people came to see him and and there's something special about him i don't know what it is i just can tell there's something special um i i i think that um the good thing is is that you know we own metro you know um i don't have a i don't have a landlord i have i, I have a banker who's a terrific guy and he comes to shows um you know, I think the civic aspect of, of, of Metro is is really strong. Um, Smart Bar as well, and G-Man Tavern. Yeah. Because I think I think that that I began to look at and say, you know, that's important to me. Um, the future, you know, I still feel there's a void for, you know, a 500 or 600 cap club. Um, I'd love to approach that again someday. I don't know um, when and how. The Again, the right building, the right situation will present itself. Because remember, the economics of a smaller venue is really tricky. Um, you don't have the kind of volume in, in alcohol or ticket sales that really can support like a, a, a bigger staff. And we like to do it the right way. Um, we were really fortunate at Double Door. There were people that were so, so into the, the mission um, that they, they, they sacrificed for certain things. Um, but the future, I still think, is, you know, right here in Chicago. I still feel between DJs and between, you know, promoters. And I'm learning something, you know, on a, on a regular basis on who's out there doing um, certain new music and, and new bands. Um, I, I, I just keep my radar clear, you know. Um, I still travel to New York. I still travel enough around uh, this great planet to pick up on things. Um, but the great thing about now, Kevin, is that so much just comes to us. I mean, that's something that's happened because of 37 years is that now Metro people, they managers, agents, bands, they come to us. Like I'll get something from someone, you know, and check us out. And there's a lot of that. Yeah. Well, you, you continue to inspire and, you know, just really create essential spaces i think for artists from m multiple genres to remain here too yeah um and so you know as my people would say you know you you're, you're a real minch <laughs> and uh, I, I just i appreciate you and i appreciate the, this conversation so much <laughs> yeah <Mishbuka>. okay <laughs> um just thank you so much man thanks yeah, for you know yeah. for everything and, sure you know personally yeah. but but thanks so much for this conversation and thank yeah. you being in the corner store today no problem thank you for having me shout out our super producer dj cashera big up boss man todd manley thank you to our official corner store photog mercedes zapata salutes to the snack door max also, please, y'all, follow our Instagram. It's corner underscore pod on IG, on Twitter. Tell us who you want to see in the corner store. And also, please consider dropping a couple of dollars into our Patreon account. It's patreon.com corner store underscore pod. The corner store is brought to you by Stolen Spirits.